0: Thank you, Lord, for this day that you've given us. Thank you for your love and for your faithfulness. Thank you for your extravagant love that you pour upon us each and every morning. Your mercies that are new. Thank you that you don't change. We come to you each day, and you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. How we love you for that in the changing world in which we live. And so we just invite you into this time this morning. Come and speak to our hearts through your word. May your word be our truth and our part of our everyday living. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. As you know, we're talking about the power of the word. All things are upheld by the word of his power. And words are powerful. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. And when we think about that, it kind of makes us want to be more careful what we say and what we don't say so that we... Speak life into everything around us. His life. We live by the life of the Son of God, right? Who came and gave himself for us. And we've been consequently going through different stories in the Bible, going through the Bible to see stories that demonstrate uh, where we can see practically, pra- practical ways how what people spoke, how it affected their existence—it's—it's really—it's really, it's really a powerful study. I've never, never ac- actually done this in this way. and It's a blessing to my own heart. I—I I, just—it's just really, really good. So today, um, let's let's look at it a little bit. Uh, last week, I think we ended with Samuel, did we not? We talked a little bit about Samuel and how Samuel was taught from a child to listen for God's voice. God's voice became precious to Samuel. And what Samuel said, his word came to pass. He was a true prophet because he, he loved to hear the voice of God. He learned to hear the voice of God, and he loved to hear the voice of God. And he truthfully delivered the message. That was a part of it, too. God said to him, don't think you can hold this back from Eli. When God shared with him, what God shared with him was tough news. That that Eli's sons were going to be judged; they were going to be killed in battle, and and Eli wasn't going to live in either. He was a young boy. I mean, he was much younger than Eli. I mean, it's hard to, for an older person to tell that to a younger person. Never mind a young 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 person to tell that to his his, his superior. It's pretty tough stuff. But God said to him, "You must be faithful. If you don't, if you don't." Be, uh, Eli said to him when he got up in the morning. If you don't tell me what God said, it's going to happen to you instead of to me. (laughs) Eli knew. I mean, Eli had some knowledge. He knew he had failed in regards to his sons. And clearly, God was talking to Samuel, not to him. So, you know, good indication. And so Samuel was true and faithful. He delivered the message that God gave to him. You know, Samuel's life later on, he, um, uh, the people said, we don't want, we don't, we want a king. We want a king like all the rest of the nations. Now, God had said, I'll be your king. I'll, I'll lead you. I'll guide you. So, when they came to Samuel and said, we want to be like the nations. God wanted them not to be like the nations that they, in, in Canaan, that they went in the promised land to possess. He wanted Israel to be a nation that, wasn't held up as an example of look at how God leads and guides and directs and takes care of, but that was only going to happen as they continued in his commandments and following his law, and they weren't always doing that. And so finally the people come and they say, look, we we want a king. We want to be like the other nations. We want a king. And Samuel knew God's heart. And it grieved his heart, it grieved Samuel's heart. And Samuel grieved and he said and he came before the Lord and the Lord said Don't feel bad, Samuel, they didn't rejecting you, they're rejecting me. <laughs> wow. Something, isn't it? And yet because Samuel loved the Lord, it grieved his heart, the choice of the people. And You know, it's true in our world, too. Sometimes we see people choose things. It grieves our heart. We would never choose that for them. God's a built-in free choice, hasn't he? He's built in a free will. And so he doesn't violate our free will. Not then, not now. And so then Saul becomes the king. Samuel anoints him king. Samuel speaks into his life. Saul is mightily blessed by his association with Samuel, okay? Saul was uh, literally a nobody from the small tribe of Benjamin, and he uh, his family loses some of their donkeys, and he goes looking for them. After a while, he's been gone a bunch of days, they start worrying about him, and then he finds that he says, Is there a prophet around somewhere or somebody we could go and pray? They could pray and tell us where our donkeys are. And somebody tells him, Oh, yeah, there's a prophet here. And it was Samuel. And he goes to Samuel and, and he's, Samuel tells him, Oh, the donkeys made it back home and they're worried about you. That's not what, that's not what the issue is here. And then Samuel anoints him king. God tells him to anoint him as the king. And then Sam, Saul, begins to as he goes back home he begins to prophesy. The Spirit of the Lord touches his life and he begins to prophesy and he has some he has an encounter with the living God through Samuel. Then you know that you know that he was humble in the beginning when they went to anoint him king in front of the people. He's hiding behind the stuff. He was like Not me, I'm not a king and unfortunately he didn't keep he didn't keep that that humbleness and after a while people started praising him and he started thinking more highly of himself than he ought and when samuel gave him instructions what to do when he went to battle he didn't do it then he 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 in his heart of course he he thought it didn't matter and he became arrogant and said you know uh oh i did i did what you said well, you know the story, eventually, you know, Samuel says to him, God's t- taken this kingdom away from you and giving it to a man that's better than you. And um, Saul is rejected, but he's rejected because of his own choices and because he hardened his heart. God gave, God always gives opportunity for us to repent and to humble ourselves and to say, I'm sorry, Lord, I I, I did wrong, I disobeyed you, please direct me, help me, forgive me. And Saul had that opportunity. It wasn't that God was, uh, uh, unfair with him. He gave him the opportunity, but he didn't bow. He didn't bow at the word. And so he goes on and he continues to be king for a long time. But God says to Samuel, come on, take your horn. And in there, in his horn was oil. Take your, take your horn of oil and come on. I want you to go anoint the next king. Of course, before he died, he wanted Samuel to anoint the next king. It was one of the precious things that, uh, God used to encourage Pastor and myself when we first came here. We went down to our, our, our ministerial, our ministerial conference and that was one of the message that was preached at that time and by two different people who had no idea on the same day the, the one wasn't in the other service and and they both preach the same text. How, you know, sometimes we think, oh, what do we have to offer? But we have the old prophet's anointing. We can get that horn of oil, and and pour some oil on a, on another person's head. And so that was encouraging to us because we were like, oh, <laughs> what are we doing? How can we do this? That was encouraging to us. And so Samuel goes, and God says, I want you to go to Bethlehem. And there's a house, there's a man whose name is Jesse. I want you to go there, and I want you to anoint one of his sons king. And I'll tell you which one. And you know the story. Jesse had a beautiful, handsome, strapping young seven sons. Yeah, a lot of sons he had. And they start to come before him. Of course, in those days, birth order was very important. So, of course, the oldest, you know, they they assumed, of course, that the oldest was the anointed one. God Samuel gets his horn out. He's ready to pour the oil. And God says, "Mm -mm." Nope, put your horn back in in its place. Uh, You're looking on the outside, but I'm looking at the heart. In God's eyes, it says, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to see whose heart, where there is a heart, That is in love with him he's looking for our hearts our hearts are so important to him when we understand that changes changes everything and he had found a young boy out on the hillsides whose mouth was continually what grumbling and complaining oh these stupid sheep they're so stinky and I always have to take care of them and they're so dumb and I always have to find food is that what he was doing out on the hillsides he was praising God. He was out there singing on his little guitar to God and saying, praise the Lord, hallelujah. You are great. Your mercy endures. And, and he was praising God. He was out there praising God. And the Bible tells us that the Lord inhabits, lives in the praises of his people. And God heard the heart of that young boy who was worshiping. And you know, we think that it's just what we do when we come together. No. It's gotta be a way of living. A way of living where worship rolls out of us every single day of the week. And, and God hears that. God hears the complaints of our, of our mouths when we're complaining all the time and always negative. God hears the praise of our heart when we're praising and worshiping and thanking Him and thanking Him. And here's David out on the hillsides learning to walk with God, learning to walk with God and learning to praise God and be faithful with the sheep that are not even his. They are his father's sheep, aren't they? But he's faithful. He's a good shepherd. I don't know if you've ever read Keller's book about sheep and shepherding. But if you have, you really get quite a Education about what it takes to be a good shepherd, especially in in that time, he did some of that. Wow, what a job! I mean, just to find green grass for the sheep, you didn't just have to find green grass; you had to find a place where there weren't snake holes and there wasn't poisonous weeds growing. You know, some some things that they could feed on would be actually poison to them. And they had, if there were snake holes, they they would they would go first and they would look. And they would stop up the, the holes and so much. I mean, just on and on and on. the water, they, you couldn't take them to a, a river where the water was running over the rocks. And forget it. The sheep get so scared, they all bump together and fall down. And once a sheep falls down, it can't stand itself up again. And the shepherd has to stand them all up on their feet And so on and on, and and so he has to make sure he finds a place like a a pond or a a quiet place where they can um, they can drink water without it like moving or or being ruffled in any way. So so the shepherd has a lot of work to do. And and then the sheep, the, the slightest thing scares them. Again, and they just kind of all bump together, and they're top heavy, you know. So they just fall over, and yes, he has, he has to stand them up. They can't stand, and if they don't, if he doesn't quickly stand them up, they die quickly. So uh, they can't, they can't help themselves, and, and they're always falling down. <laughs> Sounds like us, right? <laughs> yeah, God's got God got it right. <laughs> well, it's really something when you read his book, and then. He has to make sure they don't get burrs, and he has to take care of their wool, and oh, on and on and on and on. So it's quite a job. It's not just you know sitting on the, just sitting on a hillside, strumming, strumming his little guitar and and La La Land. He had hard work to do, and then he had predators, right? The wolves and the bear and the sheep. Uh, the lion comes, and and he had to be watchful, and he had to be alert, and he had to be. Ah, uh, brave! <laughs> but here he is, with the confession of his mouth is praise to his God. And so Samuel sees all the sons of Jesse that are present, and God says no to every one of them. So Samuel's like embarrassed now. Okay, Lord, you told me to come here. What's going on? And so finally, he says to Jesse, "Well, do you have any other sons?" <laughs> And he goes, Oh, yeah, he says, We've got one more. He's out in the fields watching the sheep. Youngest one. Okay, well, we can't sit down to dinner until he comes. And when he comes, they send for him. And he doesn't just leave the sheep. He gets somebody, he 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 gets somebody to, to watch the sheep while he goes, while he goes in. When he comes running in, the Lord says to him, Up, anoint this man. He's my chosen one. He has a heart after me. And so we see there, you know, and, and we, we see it in all of David's life. I want to look at the story of David and Goliath because with you because this is a story about words. All right? Now, in chapter 17 of 1 Samuel, if you have your Bible and can turn to it, it's a story about words. And it's just teaches us, it's just a teaching point. Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle and were gathered at so- Sokoth, which is, belongs to Judah, and they encamped between Soko and Azekah in Ephesus-Denmon. Then Saul, the men of Israel, were gathered together and they encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side. Now I have to picture this here a little bit, with a valley between them. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. Now we know he was like eight or nine feet tall. So he was he was that that was eight or nine feet tall. It's pretty 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 tall, right? And he had a bronze helmet on his head and he was armed with a coat of mail and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze, and he had a bronze armor on his legs and bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels, and a shield-bearer went before him. Then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel. Notice he didn't go out and start fighting somebody. There was no fighting going on here. He stood and he spoke. He cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come up? Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not Philistine? And you, the servants of Saul, choose a man of yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. So it's a verbal challenge, isn't it? It's a verbal, it's a verbal challenge. He hasn't done nothing yet, and the, Philistine, and, the, and the Philistine said, "I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together." So this is what this is, this is abuse, right? This is this is intimidation. This is the club, club, the club picture. Remember the, when we did the divine order? This is that intimidation, terrifying abuse. And the Phil- okay, so when Saul and all Israel heard their words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. And that's what the enemy does, doesn't he? Words are planted, words are spewed out that put us in a place of fear. Hello? Has it Has not changed much in all these years? Has, has it changed much in all these years? Okay, you haven't seen a nine-foot person standing in your way, uh, spewing out things to make you fear. But I bet you, you've heard. You've heard things in your mind and in your heart. All kinds of ways that this, we're put into places of fear and intimidation by our enemy. We have a real enemy. And David went, David was, okay, wait a minute, okay. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed. And greatly afraid. Now, they didn't pl- attack. They didn't make a plan to attack. We don't see anything here about, well, all right, come on now. We have this enemy. How are we going to defeat him? How, what are we going to do? Let's make a plan. Do we see that here? No. No plan. They're intimidated. They're afraid. They're quaking. They're fearful. How much the, and our enemy uses this against all of us continually, if he can just keep us in a place of fear and intimidation where we won't stand up and say, No, put our foot down like we heard last week. Put our foot down and say, No, enough is enough. I'm a child of the King. I'm more than conqueror through him that loved me. Through Christ I shall do valiantly. I will tread upon the enemy. I'm going to resist the devil and he will flee from me. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. We are in warfare. And, and we are constantly being bombarded by many different in many different ways to, to live out of a place of fear rather than out of a per, place of triumph. This is an old story, but this has daily application to our personal lives, if we'll allow it to. And so now David was the son of the Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse, who had eight sons. And the man was old, advanced in years in the days of Saul. The three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul to battle. The names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab and the firstborn, next to him Abinadab and the third Shammah. David was the youngest and the three oldest followed Saul. You understand that. The three oldest ones, they were called to be soldiers. And so they had to go. But David was too young for that. But David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And the Philistine drew near and presented himself 40 days, morning and evening. This didn't just happen once or twice or three times. 40 days. Okay, you getting the picture here? Then what happens when that happens over and over? Again, this is just like our living the over and over, the enemy comes with the same intimidation, the same fears, the same club in his hand, the same, and and he comes at us not just from one direction, but from many different directions, but always with the same, the same message, right? Well, here it is. And the Philistine drew near and presented himself. Forty days. What happens after forty days? It wears you out. What, where that's right, it wears you out, breaks down your courage, breaks down your resistance. You get weary, right? Why do you think the Bible says don't get weary in well-doing? For in due season you will reap if you faint not. Yeah, we all feel like giving up at various times and maybe more frequently than we like to admit. It. But don't give up. Don't give up. That's why we come together to encourage one another and say don't give up, don't quit. God is for you. Who can be against you? Then Jesse said to his son David, take now your brothers and ephah of this dried grain and these ten loaves and run to your brothers to the camp. The dad was concerned about his sons. He wanted to make sure they had food and, uh, and see how they were doing. After all, they were his first three, first three sons and, you know, he cared about their welfare. So he, David's fit and able to do this and so he gives them he gave them the care package, you know. There, there wasn't U.S. postage and there wasn't uh, <laughs> Pony Express or anything like that. So he says to David, here's a care package for your brothers. Now you run and take it to them, find how they're doing, and come back and let me know. And carry these ten cheeses to the captain of their thousand. He was also you know, trying to keep his sons in good favor with uh, their commander. These are for, you know, the guy who's in charge of them because, you know, he didn't want his sons killed in battle, of course, like any father. And see, see how your brothers fare and bring back news of them. Now Saul and all the men of Israel were in the Valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. Well, here it says they were fighting, but there wasn't much fighting going on. There were mostly intimidation going on. So David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with a keeper. Here again we see his care of the sheep. He doesn't just run off and forget about what God has entrusted him with. Okay, we I'm saying God, right? what his father had entrusted him with. His father had entrusted him with some sheep. And he didn't consider what God, you know, had in what 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 his dad had entrusted him with of no account. Like, oh, this is just a I'm just passing the time waiting for the, you know, my real life to happen, and this doesn't really matter at all. Well, this is how people live. This is how people live. Like, what I'm doing now is not really that important. I'm, I just can't wait until everybody shines a spotlight on me and I can, they can see how great I am and what I really am about. No. The reason David got to be king was because when he was out on those hillsides, he was faithful. He was a man of worship. He worshiped God and he did it with all his heart and he did it with integrity and he did it with with enthusiasm and he did it with just faithfulness. He was a faithful man and God saw that. And so when he has to leave them, he doesn't just say, oh, they'll be okay and if I lose a few, who cares? No. <laughs> he, he got somebody to stay with those sheep while he ran off. Okay, while well, he did his what his father asked him to do. It's a lesson to us. So David rose early in the morning, got left some of the sheep with a keeper, and took the things, and went as Jesse commanded him. He came to the camp as the army was going out to fight and shouting for battle. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up the battle array, army against army. So they were fighting here, some, anyway. And David left his supplies to the hands of the supply keeper, ran to the army, and came and greeted his brothers. And then as he talked with them, There was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines, and he spoke according to the same words. So David heard them. So again, this wasn't a fist fight, this was a word fight, wasn't it? Words hurt, don't they? They used to have that, they had years ago when we were little, they would say, sticking stones may hurt my bones, but names will never harm me. But that's not true. That's not true. Words hurt. Just as much as sticks and stones. And so David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. And remember, this had gone on for 40 days. These were soldiers. These were brave soldiers. Supposed to be brave soldiers. We're supposed to be brave soldiers in the army of heaven, right? In the army of the king of kings. We used to sing a song like that. I'm a soldier in the army, in the army of the king of kings. Well then we can't always be running from every battle. We have to arm ourselves and say, Lord, teach my fingers to fight and my hands to f- fingers fingers to war and my hands to fight. This was a prayer in the Psalms that David wrote. Teach me. Teach me how to fight the good fight of faith and lay hold of eternal life. We're called to warfare so we have to learn. As women we don't like that. We don't we don't want to have to fight. We want somebody else to fight for us. <laughs> That's just our, our it's not it's just our nature. But there's got to come a point where even as women, we're, we're willing to stand up and fight the good fight of faith and, and lay hold of eternal life. We can't just be passive and let somebody else always fight our battle for us as much as we would like to. That's our nature, more or less. I mean, some people have more fight in them than others, I guess. But <laughs> when it comes to the kingdom of heaven, it's a cause worth fighting for in the right way, right? When we fight in the right enemy... So all the men of Israel, they dread, dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come to defy Israel. It shall be that the man who kills him, the king, will enrich with great riches. The king. Where's the king? The king is sitting in his tent, not making a plan. <laughs> not The king should have been out there chopping this guy down and, and, and fighting against him. Oh, but the king's going to give a great reward to anybody who's willing to go out there and risk their life. Wow, what a brave king. No wonder Israel was not fighting well. And give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. Oh, woohoo! <laughs> I mean, think about it, how ridiculous that is. Okay, breaking taxes is nice, but not for the life of your son. <laughs> you know? Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? He got it right. This man wasn't defying Israel. This army, this man was defying the armies of the living God. He knew that God was with them. That they were the people that belonged to God. That they had a resource that wasn't merely swords and and clubs and horses and... That they had a, he had a God that was with him. He had learned that out in the fields. He had killed a lion and a bear. And he knew that it was by the power of the Holy Spirit that, God, that God's power came on him that enabled him to do that. He knew he didn't have that power in himself. And that's how we fight in spiritual warfare also. We don't have power against the enemy. The enemy could swallow us up in a minute. But we have the power of the Holy Spirit upon us to call upon, to say, oh, come and anoint me. I can't fight this battle unless you come to me and enable me and empower me. But we have. We have the resource. And so it's up to us to get filled to overflowing with the Holy Ghost and power that we'll be able to wield the shields of faith and the sword of the Spirit and pray with all power in the Holy Ghost. That's why God's given us the gift of tongues, right? So that we can pray in tongues and, and do some spiritual warfare. So David recognizes the heart of the matter here, that this is a man who is defying the God of Israel, not just the army of Israel. You understand? And that's what we have to see in our own lives, that the enemy is out to to defy the work of God in our hearts and lives. Why is he fighting against us? If we were walking with God and we didn't have a desire to worship God and to love God and to please God, we wouldn't have any warfare. The enemy would just leave us alone. <laughs> but it's because we want to walk with God and please him and make a difference in this world for him that the, the that there's warfare. Because the enemy sees us as a threat to the kingdom of darkness. Hallelujah for that. But it means that we have to be armed and prepared. And the people answered him in this manner saying, So shall it be done for the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men and Eliab's anger was aroused against David and he said, Why did you come down here? Now remember, this is his little brother. And he's getting a little annoyed. <laughs> And he's saying, "Who do? You, what are you asking all these questions for? Who do you think you are?" And of course, he might have had a little rub anyhow, because you know, the youngest son was anointed, and he wasn't. You know, just you know how that is: oldest brother, youngest brother. Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? In other words, he says to him, "Don't you have something to do at home? You know, get going." I know your pride and insolence of your heart, for you have come down here to see, see the battle. You just want to get in on some of the action. And David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? After all, number one, his father had sent him. His father had sent him to, uh, in care for his brothers. And besides that, David had the right, he had the right motive at heart. God's kingdom. And then he turned from them toward another and said the same thing, and these people answered him as the first ones did. Now when the words which when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, and he sent for him. Then David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. Whoa! <laughs> Where does this boy get this courage from? From the knowledge of God. There's the only place it could come from. It doesn't just come because you think, I mean, the guy was, the man, Goliath was nine feet tall. He had armor that we just read how much it weighed. I mean, come on. It wasn't just a natural desire in David to fight. This was the power of the Holy Spirit rising up within him to say, he can't defy the God of Israel. And so Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him for you are a youth and he is a man of war. He's a man of war from his youth. Saul sees the ridiculousness of this. He says, you're, you're too scrawny and young and you're not able. That's the people who God can use when it looks like, I don't know, God could use that person. You know what? Yes, he can. And yes, he will cause that's what brings him glory. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep and then a lion and a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock and I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth and when it rose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. And your servant has killed both lion and bear and the uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. And we have a living God who lives within us and he knew That God was with him. Do we know that God is with us? And what do we fear? What are we fearing? Why aren't we fighting? Why aren't we putting our our feet down on the necks of our enemies? Why aren't we doing it? Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. Notice he doesn't stand here and say, Well, you know, I did pretty good with the lion and I did pretty good with the bear. So, you know, I might be able to, you know, um, figure out somehow. And, you know, you know, I know he didn't start confessing all the negatives and he didn't start confessing his doubts and, and, and saying, well, you know, I don't know, but let's talk about this. Let's have, you know, no, none of that. He says, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you, brave man, that he was king, that he was. (laughs) But David had it right. He knew whom he had believed. And when we finally get it, and we get in warfare, and we get attacked, and we start to say, God, I know who I have believed. I know you are my God. I know you are with me. I know you have the victory for me over this situation, and I know that you will help me. As soon as we get that and start walking in that, everything changes. I'm sorry, but it does. The enemies start to put their tail between their legs and run in the opposite direction rather than at us. But it's up to us. That's what it means to take authority. People think that taking authority means to start Hollering at God, Lord, I have authority. No. Taking authority means start thinking, I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. I know that, Lord, you are with me. I know that these negative thoughts and these, this fearsome things, these fearsome things that have come against me, that they are defeated and that they have to go in the name of Jesus. And as we fight the good fight of faith, they, they have to flee. Resist the devil and he will flee from you, it says. That's God's word. That's not an option. That's God's word. <laughs> do we believe it? So Saul clothed David. This is the best he can do. He clothes David with his armor and put a bronze helmet on his head. And he also clothed him with a coat of mail. And David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk, but he couldn't even walk in it first of all Saul was a tall man it was too big for him and he was like you know you get a funny picture of like the tin man almost like you know trying to clank 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 clank. (laughs) it's not working well (laughs) and David's never never had it on before and so he says to Saul "Mm -mm." he says I cannot walk with these for I have not tested them so David took them off he said thanks but no thanks And he took his staff in his hand, and he chose for himself, look at this, look at this, look at this, get this in your heart, and in your soul, and in your mind, and in your warp and woof of your whole being, from the brook, five stones, and put them in his shepherd's bag, in a pouch, which he had, and his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. He took what he had. You know, God's equipped every one of us with weapons of our warfare, prayer, and praise, and the power of the Holy Spirit. We have. We have. We possess them. We have them. And so he he, he he gets those five stones and the Philistine came and began drawing near to David and the man who bore the shield went before him. He even had somebody to hold the shield for him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David it was kind of like seeing a little dog coming running up, you know. He was nine feet high. This kid was, who knows what he was, but you know, maybe five, even if if he was five feet tall, right? In comparison, it's a big, big comparison. He disdained him when he saw him. For he was only a youth, ruddy and good looking. No armor, remember, no armor on. So the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Notice again, this is up to this point, verbal, 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 verbal battle, right? Bang, bang, bang. But verbal abuse is abuse. And the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Here's some more. Intimidation. Intimidation. And the devil is good at doing this. He's good at feeding this to us, intimidating us and banging us down and saying, you'll never, you'll never win the victory. Ha <laughs> ha, see, I got you again. You'll never get out of this. You're stuck. It's the same kind of fight. And Philistine said to David, Come to me and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. David said to the Philistine, This is what we got to learn. This is what we got to get. You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. But I come to you, hallelujah, in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of angel armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And that's what we have to do. We have to get mad and we have to stand up and we have to say, you're a liar, Satan, and you go back to the abyss where you came from and you leave me alone and you're a defeated foe and I won't succumb to your fear tactics and to all the garbage that you hurl at me continually over and over and over again. And when we do that, we win. God wins. The platoon wins. The kingdom of heaven is advanced. We forget that we're not just fighting for ourselves. This was not a, a fight that only affected David. This fight was won and victory was gotten for the whole country of Israel. And when we go against Satan and his armies and we defy him, we send him running with his tail between his legs, we win a, a victory for the kingdom. We're in kingdom warfare, not just in personal warfare. Do you understand? He goes on, David, to listen to the confession of his mouth. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give your the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. This is why we're fighting, not for our own personal profit. This is what, what what's missed today so much in our in our striving. It's not just to make us more comfortable in our living. It's not just a personal thing. It's a, a kingdom. We're, we're living in the kingdom of heaven. It's kingdom mentality that God is trying to get through to us. This won a victory for the whole kingdom of Israel. And then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Oh, that we would get this in the gut of our being. Oh, that we would get this in our gut. It would change the way we live. So it was when the Philistines arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistines. David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone. David had already won this victory. His, by his confession, he had already defeated the foe. Do you understand? He had already defeated him. And he took out a stone and he slung it. A little stone! A great big giant! A little stone should have hurt this man. Should have, should have done any damage. <laughs> but God was with that stone. And God was with David. And that little stone, he slung it, and it struck the Philistine in his forehead, so that the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hands of David. Therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his own sword, and drew it out of its sheath, and killed him, and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Now the men of Israel and Judah rose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance in the valley of the gates to Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell along the road to Sharaim, even as far as Gath and Ekron. Then the children of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their tents. And then David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. There you have it. He wins. Why? Because David knows who his God is, and he not only knows it in his head, but he knows it in his living, and he knows how to say and to live, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, of angel armies, and he is for me, so you can't be against me. And so may we learn, may we learn. This was a, 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 a conflict, mostly of words. Mostly of words. When it came down to it, God used one small stone. But really, what was what, what was being used there? It was word, It was words. And God, though no, a huge victory was won, the Israelites drove back the Philistines at that at that time, and a huge victory was won for the whole nation, not just David. David was. What did David do after that? If you read, he goes back and he starts taking care of his dad's sheep again. <laughs> He's a, he wasn't in it. It wasn't about him. He wasn't in it for his glory. I mean, that happened. That came. But that's not what he was in it for. He was in it for God. And when we're in it for God, and we're willing to stand, and we're willing to, to do warfare, God will use us to win great victories for his whole kingdom. It won't just be personal. It'll be far-reaching. When we get that, wow, that makes us a little more aggressive. Makes it, you know, God needs us. He needs warriors. He, it, it, it's a, it's an hour of great need. It's an hour of running off at the mouth and passing the time when we should have stopped. Sorry, <laughs> didn't realize what time it was. <laughs> uh, but it's an hour of great need, and God needs us to stand up and to fight the good fight of faith. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Help us to learn to fight and to win victories for your kingdom and your glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen.